Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a little bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere. We find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on Facebook and Instagram, or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who feels like we owe an apology to Zach Swanson. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, we, the pre-show convos, uh, opening the kimono here, Gerald and I are like, whoops, we forgot, uh, what was his last name? Uh, uh, Samsonite? Swanson. So, yeah. Slappy? I was, so, I was way off. Um, for our younger listeners, there was a documentary called Dumb and Dumber that came out a few years ago. You should uh, check out one of the six versions. Um, but no, yeah, four-star Demons of Lyman Zach Swanson. We missed you in the, the majestic news dump of last Monday. Uh, it was a little slower this week, but we still have a packed and good show to talk about. Yeah, so if you missed it, Zach Swanson, 6'4", 225, defensive end, out of Phoenix, Arizona. Pretty highly highly coveted kid, especially for the Pac-12 types. Also some SEC offers in there. Uh, but Bo Davis and, and Coach K closed that door pretty quick in Texas. Adds just its second player in the trenches in the 2022 class. It's going to be a highly, hotly contested line on both sides. Recruiting cycle. Seats on the bus will fill up quickly. Y'all, y'all recruits who listen to this, and I know there's hundreds of you, make sure you get on quickly. But also... Arizona keep that pipeline let's just every year get two or three kids from Arizona I don't hate it absolutely get as many of the west coast Pac-12 footprint kids as we can I mean you really just need to set up for the next round of conference realignment when the Big 12 swallows the Pac-12 uh, I think that's probably what we need to do right and and also it, it continues uh, not to, to spoil the future uh, show news here but it continues you know any potential players who don't cut it here have an automatic pipeline to USC right back out there <laughs> but we're not here to talk about weird recruiting trends or anything like that uh, the NFL draft has come and gone so we'll talk about uh, how Texas stacked up where the Texas players landed. Uh, we also, baseball suffered its first series loss of the season to Texas Tech. It was uh, a couple of ugly games on, on a doubleheader and then a, just a, a blew up on Sunday. Uh, we'll obviously jump to down the 40, got some transfers and all sorts of stuff happening there. Burn Orange Lenses will uh, got some off the wall a little bit news going on in the Burn Orange Lenses. Obviously, we'll close it out with the Godzilla Tron and bang the drum. So the NFL draft has come and gone the NFL draft. Uh, Texas had five players selected in the draft. Second round pick, first one off the board for Texas. At number 51, Samuel Cosme went to the Washington football team. Uh, In the third round, number 69, Joseph Osai went to the Bengals. Uh, Fifth round, number 148, uh, Taquan Graham went to the Atlanta Falcons. Fifth round, number 152, Caden Stearns out to the Broncos. And in the sixth round, Number 218 and the draft number one in your heart, Sam Ellinger, drafted by the Colts. So this is actually the most Longhorns taken in the last six years and tied for the most in the past decade. Uh, the two higher marks were the years uh, after national championship appearances, so uh, the 2010 season and the 2006 season. There were seven actually taken in 2007. So Texas had a, had a strong, surprisingly strong showing, yeah. you know, outside of like the Ohio States and Alabamas of the world. Really, Texas was one of the, the stronger showings as far as 
Plus, uh, and the strongest showing in in the Big Twelve as as they uh, close out the weekend. That shouldn't be a surprise. That that should be how it is, right? You just think about the talent that Texas recruits to campus, even with attrition or or any combination of weird things. You that should be the case that six seven guys every year are are matriculating to uh the nfl just because you know you get a lot of good good talent but uh it, it is a little bit it is a little bit surprising we've talked on this podcast many times about the the this effectively ending we are now out of the the bleakest decade in, in texas football history i mean we we basically went if you remember we went Four three three zero to kick the decade off in 2011, 12, 13, and 14 when we had zero was kind of an eye opener. We did have five that next year in 2015, but then we went 1-1 one, one, uh, in the preceding years after that. So basically, I, I don't want to you know chalk it up to coach specifically, but Strong in his era had seven. Uh, Mac basically in the, the three years, 11 to 13, had 10. Uh, and then Herman in four years had 14. So um, it does look like those Charlie teams just be, maybe because not the talent, but the success product that they put out with wins and losses, because we've seen a lot of those undrafted guys um, have a great career of it. But I don't want to talk about the past and the history. I want to talk about who's there and, and, and which one of these guys is a pro bowler first. Now, I think um, I think I think Cosme will end up being something of a steal. I think, you know, both he and Osai were guys who you probably could have knocked 20 off of their number and no one would have been, you know, too upset by it or at the end of, you know, last season even shocked by it. I think both of those guys at some point were top 15 in mock drafts. Um, Cosme, I think technique and a lot of tape as people really got into it, showed out and he looked like maybe the most raw offensive lineman. And then Osai, I don't really understand that one. You know, he, he went like, a, a nice 69th, you know, but you, you thought that he could have been a second rounder for sure. Uh, a first rounder maybe was a stretch. There were some good edge rushers in this class, but um, I think Mr. Osai will have a nice size chip on his shoulder the same way um, there was a, a friend of his at his draft party who has been very open about the fact that he's kind of had a chip on his shoulder for the way that uh, he and fellow Longhorn linemen and uh, Big 12 defensive linemen of the year uh, didn't get drafted uh, as high as they should have. And, and if you just take Puna, Chuck Omenahu, and, and add a side of that, that's that's a pretty good little pipeline. There was a conversation on Twitter a couple of months ago about how Texas players tend to have a bad reputation uh, in the league as far as work ethic and things like that. And there have been some guys that kind of lend credence to that. But I think maybe some of that seems to cost them. You know, Joseph Osai in a lot of people's mocks was, was a solid second rounder. And so... He ends up in a position the Bengals are going to be a really good team in the AFC North, so he's in a really, really fortuitous position. Another guy that I think likely ended up in a pretty solid spot is Caden Stearns. You know, mm. it's, it's as a, as a fifth round guy, you don't you honestly when you slide to the fifth round, a lot of times your agent starts begging for you to be a to be an undrafted guy so you can pick where you go. Uh, but but there was a big run on Big Twelve guys in the late rounds because teams wanted to control where they were, and Caden Stearns was one of those guys. But he gets to play alongside a guy he loves, PJ Locke. And the the Broncos have a really good front. And so if he can stay healthy and get out there, he's got an opportunity to make some plays. You know, he's um, the last couple of years at Texas were a struggle. Uh, He suffered with some injuries. And there's been a lot that has come out as of late about how Tom Herman and his staff handled injury recovery and not letting guys recover probably as fully as they should. And so that is 
uh, continues to be something to keep an eye on. And I think if he can stay and again, remain healthy, he's got an opportunity to, to really make an impact there. But I think the thing that I want to talk about the most, Kyle, is how Texas stacks up against its, its contemporaries, right? So Texas sure. and OU tied with five selections in the NFL draft. So OU and Texas both had five. Texas's first player came off the board, second round at number 51, Creed Humphrey was the first OU player to come off the board at 63 overall. So Texas had a lineman selected before OU, which uh, when you look at like how linemen are recruited and they're like, oh, Texas doesn't get its guys recruited, sucks to suck. Uh, A&M only had four <laughs> selected in the draft. They had uh, their highest pick was Kellen Mond at number 66 overall. And again, this really bodes well for uh, Texas when you look at the two teams that they have to recruit with most heavily regionally. Now, when you look at like Alabama and Ohio State both bringing double that number getting drafted, that being said, some of those Alabama players were Steve Sarkeesian offensive players and Kyle Flood offensive players. So there's, there's a conversation to be had there about what Texas can do from a recruiting standpoint, especially to counteract a lot of what's been negative recruiting about Texas not being able to put guys in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alabama, you, you get the benefit. I mean, you get good kids and then you win games, you get the benefit. There, there's going to be, you know, out of those 10, there will be some who will be extremely good NFL careers and there's some who won't work out and that happens. But you're going to get the benefit about the doubt that, like we said, Texas at the end of its kind of long decade of, of woe is getting the opposite of, right? You you get that bump by a round or two versus a knock, you know, wait and see by a round and two that Texas is suffering from right now. Um, but I, I think you're right. Like the other thing would, would think of Sarkeesian, this is actually Texas having two offensive players because Sam and Cosme both going is kind of a big deal in the historical context of the past decade. Out of the out of the uh, what is it thirty one I think players drafted one was special teams, uh, but uh, a punter uh, of note. But um, out of the thirty <laughs> offense or defensive players uh, in the past decade, basically only eight have been on the offensive side of the ball. So getting two here is a big deal. And then think about the fact that you're bringing in a head coach and Kyle Flood, two guys who are, are you know well respected. You just mentioned Alabama. Again, scrap everything you knew about your dad, your uncle, your grandpa's Alabama. It was the offensive side of the ball that Alabama really made their uh, their huge move and their run on. Um, you know, uh, late stage Nick Saban has has really flipped the script. The man who hated offense his whole career uh, has you know made a meal of it. And again, you you look at a lot of that in that Steve Sarkeesian. So um, it will be exciting to see that that I think Sark guys will get probably some benefit of a doubt because he is just at every level of football respected and universally lauded as the offensive genius. You know, uh, you could put literally probably the two most universally, and I'll give them credit here, minds on the offensive side of the football right now are Lincoln Riley uh, and and Steve Sarkeesian. So um, I think you will see some more offensive guys in the future in the next five years uh, under Sark as he gets his guys recruited in and even coaches up the guys that you have here. And, and I don't want to just give it to him. There's a lot of good coaches who came with him, but we'll just start at the top and leave it and call it, call it Sark's guys. So I'm excited to see if that trend shifts a little. Love us to keep getting defensive guys. I think over Sean Jameson are guys who could have a future next year. Um, so we're going to keep getting defensive guys drafted, but let's add even more offensive guys, you know, about, about three, four of each, uh, every year. I'd be happy with that. Well, I think that's, that's was always the knock on Tom Herman is he could get the high caliber guys on campus, but he couldn't get them to, to develop into the league. And so we've said this before. We'll say it again. When Texas is good, you walk into a school with a longhorn on your shirt. You don't have to do a whole lot to recruit a kid. And so if Texas can put, a 10 win season together in its first two years, the recruiting is going to get pretty easy 
And then if they can develop those kids, the machine kind of becomes self-sustaining. So if you can get, again, a couple of five-star kids, put them in the league, that becomes a big advantage for Texas and then does a lot of the bad that the last decade of, of lack of development has done for the Longhorns. And so I think that's the biggest story for me coming out of the NFL draft. Agree completely. I, I, like I said, I, I, I just want to see Sam succeed, and uh, I hope he gets a chance up there. I think uh, interesting landing spot for him in Indianapolis could have been a lot worse. So uh, out of all these guys, obviously want to see them succeed, but obviously QB1, first one since Colt. He's going to get talked about. So I think the whole Longhorn Nation will be tuning in to Indianapolis Colts games next year. Absolutely. So we'll have an opportunity, hopefully, to watch some of these guys. I feel like a lot of them have a shot to make um, the NFL, the Sunday roster. So I hope we have a lot, at least, of guys suiting up in the NFL in the next year. Some unfortunate news, the baseball team dropped two of three to Texas Tech, uh, losing its first series of the season Friday night, uh, Ty Madden dealing with some blisters on his hand, uh, pitched his probably it's probably safe to say his worst outing of the year, got touched by Texas Tech uh, in a major way. Saturday, they had to uh, play that game in two portions. Part of it on Saturday got rained out, then closed it out on Sunday. But Tech managed to find its way out of a bases loaded jam, thanks to, in part, a rainstorm to win that one. 5-3, to three. but then Texas battled back to avoid the sweep in a major way on Sunday, taking that Sunday game 11-3 to three from the Red Raiders. Texas fell from number 3 to number 6 in the rankings, but still a top 10 team. The Big 12 just continues to be a ball of knives in every sport, and baseball is no exception. Yeah, and Tech's a good team. Give them a lot of credit. I think Pierce said it best. Like, Yes, a blister split open in Madden's hand. He touched 100 miles an hour. Um, so he may have thrown himself into some pain. Um, he was throwing so hard, but um, clearly there were some inconsistencies, and and you have not seen inconsistency in control and speed from Madden all year. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping that doesn't prove to be a thing that you know just lingers throughout the rest of the year. And I'm willing to write off because again, that's one part of it. But Tech also uh, held Texas to three runs, and, and a lot of it was on just incredible defense. They made their center fielder had one in, I think, the, the first or second inning and one in the ninth inning um, that basically these two, like, diving or, you know, sprinting across the field catches uh, may have been the difference in three runs in the game. Um, just really, really good defense all around from, from Tech through most of the series, at least the first two days of the series, robbing UT uh, of runs. And again, you look at Three games, this is not important. Usually we don't have to look at this. But you look at three games and you, you look at the overall scores across three and Texas scored more runs over the series than Tech. Um, you know, you just, you, you win one big and lose two close. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily look good in the win-loss column, uh, unfortunately. But I think, um, you know, with rain and all this stuff and injuries or, you know, blister issue going on, I, I, I hate to lose it, but I don't think the season, the, the sky is not falling. Um, they will play another really good team coming up here and, and have a chance at a little bit of redemption, hopefully. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. I think um, the postponement certainly played a big factor um, in just the... Uh, that could have that that could have been a toss up type of game in, in game two, but I think they left no doubt in game three. Just crushed the ball, scored eleven runs on Tech. Um, and the interesting thing I think coming out of that um, is Pete Hansen came in and locked down the spot for Sunday. And and um, you know we came into the season, Gerald, talking about the fact that you know Pete Hansen would probably be our Sunday 
starter. Um, remember, this is a guy who finished our shortened 2020 season with a 0.00 ERA. Um, so we really expected a lot for him. And, and throughout this portion of the season, he hadn't been able to lock that down. He'd been more of a midweek starter. But he looks like he's probably secured that third spot. And I think that um, that gives us some continuity and some certainty going into the remaining, I don't even know, 10th, whatever, 8th of the season. There ain't much left. Um, so it's uh, have it figured out for when it matters. Uh, get everybody healthy. Get a big win against our next opponent, TCU. And uh, and I'm feeling pretty good. I think there's still a top 8 seed, which is what really matters to historically host a regional. So uh, the, the finish line is in sight, and the goal is still in sight. I don't think, even though this was a tough one, they only fell three spots to number 6. I think they're still right in the hunt. Yeah, and I mean the the thing with the the Big Twelve race is that the team Texas trails for the Big Twelve lead is the team they take on this weekend, right? They're two games back of TCU for a conference lead, and uh, so if they could take two, or really they would need to take all three from TCU to take the lead, but they could definitely make a dent and put themselves in solid position to close this season out if they can again, reignite a little bit of a win streak, a sweep of TCU. I don't know if a sweep happens. That's a big ask. TCU is an incredible baseball team. (laughs) Um, But, but going into the stretch run of the season, being just a couple of games back of TCU and having a series against them is, is a pretty enviable position. They kind of control their own path here. If they can figure out again, if, if we can get a healthy hand from Ty Madden and really that like Stevens, pretty much cruised through his first five innings, right? He played really, really well. And then that sixth inning, the wheels just kind of fell off. And that was, you know, if you can getting, there are some of those that were 50, 50 balls. And if you can get out of some two out jams, four of the five runs tech scored came with two outs on the board. It was a, you know, you hit a batter, gave up a, a, a double when he was you know, two and two in the count, a seven pitch walk to load the bases and he hits the next guy. There's a lot that goes into that. And so if you can get out of that jam, if one ball bounces one way or the other, one strike zone gets called a little bit wider, a little bit tighter, things can bounce differently. And so there's a lot. um, You obviously were not into moral victories, but um, that game, that second, especially that Saturday game, could have gone a lot of different directions. Yeah, and and, and Gerald, one thing that I always try to be very like mindful of when we do this podcast is it's very easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. It's very easy to live in the hindsight. Uh, it's better than twenty twenty. It is. It is ten ten. Whatever the most supreme uh, superhero perfect type vision. perfect vision is that you have. You have that clarity and insight, and and it's always you would have done the other thing that would have fixed the game, but you you. In years past, there have been times we've said in this very podcast of, you know, we wouldn't mind Pierce, you know, yanking, putting the, the cane and yanking people out half an inning earlier. And it felt like with Stevens, maybe uh, half an inning earlier or, or an inning earlier, maybe, you you know, again, it, it is the benefit of not being the man making the decisions and looking back. Um, it could have gone, like you said, in any number of different ways. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, I do kind of feel like that one. That one hurt a little bit more than than even the first game because it it felt like it could it could have been winnable. They both to me felt winnable, but again, I think Tech 
certainly won those games. They did enough to win, and you have to give them credit. I don't think this should be just looked as UT Blue. They they lost. Tech won, and so give them credit. They rose to number eight in the in the national rankings. Now they are a very good team who's going to give someone absolute fits in the postseason because. I don't want to see him a bunch of times more uh, throughout the year. Maybe the Big 12 tournament, we might come up against him again, if any. But uh, I'm I'm happy to never see them again this year. They're 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 a, they're a nasty little team to have to put out. Keep them away from me. So like we mentioned a couple times, uh, Texas is going to host Texas State on Tuesday for the midweek, and then they have a weekend series against number three TCU, hoping to uh, again a win there, a sweep there allows you to overtake them for the top spot in the conference. Yeah, and just one interesting note, it came out today that uh, Colby Kubitschek is is probably moving to the pen because highly touted freshman Lucas Gordon is named the Tuesday starter. He's pitched 14 times with no starts. He's basically given an inning each time. So this would be a good test for him against Texas State. Again, a, a good Texas State team um, and, and see how, how he goes before we get to that big, big weekend series. But uh, they basically have six Big 12 games. If they can get four to five of them as, as wins. And, and Hey, if you, two of those are against both TCU and West Virginia, I like their national ranking. And I think I actually like where that puts them in the big 12 hunt too, but Hey, just go ahead and sweep TCU and make the math easy. Make the math as easy as possible because Kyle and I both have communications degrees. So now this is the part of the show where we whip around all the other stuff happening on campus and we down the 40, uh, Texas, had a couple of guys hit the transfer portal earlier. Uh, one of them hit the transfer portal for like the ninth time, but he finally decided to uh, take advantage of him. Malcolm Epps, uh, a guy who you and I both enjoy, Will Flyke, who seemed to have gotten past on the depth chart a little bit, announced that he is following several former Texas players and coaches out to the West Coast to USC. He was a four-star tight end out of Decaney High School. Um Put together a solid 2019 campaign for a guy who was coming off the bench a little bit, but never really seemed to put it together in 2020, and I think saw his name fade a little bit, so he is heading out west to join like seven other guys who are already out there. Yeah, it, I hope Brew McCoy gets some referral points on that that Southwest Bergstrom to uh, LAX flight uh, that that apparently about fifteen people have taken recently, uh, coaches, recruiters, players, and otherwise. But um, Epps is a guy who I think you and I both loved his potential, his upside, and I think we we kept kind of a shine and rose on him and I'm not going to say because he transferred now I no longer think it he still has that upside and if they can make it work out there in in LA then then they got a heck of a heck of a raw clay for a a really good tight end he's one of those basketball players who you know if you can make it work at the tight end position Tony Gonzalez Antonio Gates you make yourself millions of dollars but there was a couple things that he just never seemed to get with uh with you know kind of his hands his separation getting off the line blocking that you know I think is the reason that probably you take the lower risk maybe lower uh ceiling guys and and they move up the depth chart ahead of him but uh again a a player who is a red zone monster 6-5 who can just jump up to like 13 feet in the air and grab balls. If you can use that right, uh, again, he could he could do some things in the Pac-12. Absolutely. Again, uh, he joins Keontae Ingram and Xavier Alford as players out there. You also have like Brian Carrington and a bunch of coaches that have also made their way out west. Jawan Mitchell, uh, who I think this was his third stint in the transfer portal, uh, finally pulled the trigger and is heading to the other UT, uh, Tennessee, out in the SEC. Posted a weird video that was like a mashup of him coming out of the tunnel in Austin and then coming out of the tunnel in, in, in 
Nayland. Knoxville, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, but he was a three-star linebacker, like number. It was top one fifty guy coming out of junior college. Um, but if you paid attention to his recruiting, you could have seen something weird like this happening. He was committed to Rutgers, decommitted, then committed to Minnesota, and then committed to Texas before finally ending up on campus. A hundred and one total tackles, fifty-nine solo, and three sacks in his years in Austin. Uh, but never really see he he didn't. We honestly thought he was going to transfer prior to the 2020 season, uh, but he stuck around, had a decent last season, and now is, is moving on to, uh, I don't want to say greener pastures, but at least different pastures. I tell you what, it, it's tough. He went to the SEC with no Sarkeesian there, but he had to stay in Austin against Sark's offense, you know, so I guess maybe he picked the right time to not have to face Sark as much, but, uh, you know, Gerald, college is the best time of your life. Uh, college campuses and college towns are great. Why not get eight, nine, ten of them in while you while you can in your four or so years? I, you know, uh, it's, it would not be my preferred method uh, from for players who represent my football team. But uh, you know, go, go do what works for you. Hopefully, this is the one that works out for him. A, a good tackler for sure. Um, a player who we always kind of wanted to see a little bit more in pass coverage. Uh, as the SEC offenses evolve, even again taking Steve Sarkeesian out of that equation, there's still some real good offenses uh, now that they've been reading Big 12 for Dummies out there. So um, I think uh, I think we'll see if, if if they can isolate him a bit and not make him have to have so many pass covering duties. That would probably be his best opportunity for success. But as we always say, we wish both of those gentlemen good luck in the rest of their careers. Absolutely. Another guy that we're wishing happy trails and good luck to Matt Coleman uh, officially announced his decision to enter the NBA draft. We knew it was coming because he sold all of his Texas stuff. So that would have been a weird situation to navigate with the NCAA. We didn't really want to put that out there publicly until this happened. Uh, But Matt Coleman has decided that he is not going to take advantage of the extra year and will be heading to the NBA Yeah, it's such such an interesting legacy, right? He is so tied to Shaka Smart, a nine-year relationship and journey. It would have been very odd, I think, regardless if he stayed at Texas without um, Shaka. And and we are creatures of of latest data point, I think, by, by nature. And so the worst he ever did in his entire career was seven turnovers that happened to be his last game against Abilene Christian in the tournament, one of the bigger upsets of the year. Uh, he also, you know, I think was one for six from three in that game. And this was coming off of just don't forget how he willed UT to that big 12 title, you know, putting up a career high the game before 30 points and, and one and the euphoria of that moment sometimes in our, in our history of the, the, the bad taste in our mouth of the ACU game gets forgotten, but the game winner uh, against North Carolina to win the, to win the Maui. I mean, that's just his senior year. He led the team four consecutive years in assist was point guard number one from the moment he stepped on campus. I think he missed one game in his career due to an injury and played every other possible game during his time on the 40 acres. I mean, the, the guy, you have to start having conversations. I don't think he, he passes just our utterly legendary TJ Fords. And I think I'd still, still like my boy Jacoven, but he starts to get in that conversation of the top 20 players, just career-wise, numbers-wise stat that he's put up in those four years and, and being the point guard, the, the position of you know, importance and influence and controlling the ball in basketball. Um, you know, he, he, he did it in big situations. And again, if you take the one slice off the end, uh, it might give a, an even rosier appearance of a career, but really, truly, we, we just, uh, we're, we're 
I think it was an honor for you and I to have this podcast for most of that time and 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 be able to cover him and and watch him every game, hundred some odd games at UT. So uh, hook him, Matt, and it was a pleasure. You're always a Longhorn. Yeah. Absolutely. Happy trails to you. We wish you nothing but the best. A guy who's coming back for another year, even though he's going to go through the draft process, but will not hire an agent, so he'll retain his eligibility. Courtney Ramey, uh, junior guard for the Longhorns, announces via his Instagram that he'll be coming back. Uh, there's this, I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle, I'm just going to say this. There's this weird conversation and weird thing of people saying Courtney Ramey sucks, and that's not true. Courtney Ramey struggled in the final, like, three games of the season, like the most notable games of the season that you probably watched, the Tech game, the Oklahoma State game, and then that the game where everybody sucked against Abilene Christian. But like heading into those games, Courtney Ramey was averaging like, I think he had like three games all season uh, before the tournament games where he did not hit like 11 points. Like yeah. he had some almost 30-point games in there, some games where he hit three and four three-pointers, a seven three-pointer affair against West Virginia for him, seven of eight from three, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. Uh, so Courtney, Courtney Ramey adds a a guy who if he's if he's playing well when he's on and again I'm not going to argue that he was very very off in the last three games but when he was on he's a guy that could shoot the lights out and he's another guy that Texas absolutely needed to come back and Chris Beard continues to put together a little bit of a monster. Yeah, I, I think you, this. I'm really glad you said that, Gerald. I, I kind of made my you know we're we're, we're um, slaves to our our last data point. Uh, observation about Matt Coleman and I think it was also I laid it out there to, to set this up because I think exactly that I'm excited for you know middle of the year heart of the season shooting the lights out Courtney Ramey guy who who would happily guard the best uh, offensive player on the other team and getting his head in his pocket for 30 minutes and still go score 20 minutes on any given night um, a guy who brings passion intensity if Matt Coleman was the cerebral leader and 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 brain of the team Courtney Ramey was truly the heart of it. I think he was the vocal um, get in your face and we saw that some, but but um, challenge you to be better leader and it will be interesting to see as all these new pieces come in. Um, he along with obviously uh Coleman, who's been here, you know, for 18 years, but uh, and and whoever else and, and Febres and, and Cunningham and, and if anyone else joins will have to kind of embed the new the the new bloods into the the ut culture and 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 beard obviously will bring something new to that so he i think will be an important piece both on and off the court for for melding this new team that you said this monster that beard's putting together Again, Texas is still waiting on word from guys like Greg Brown, who could be a massive piece. Uh, but but the guard situation that Texas is going to have is looking real nice, real real nice. Moving forward on the ladies' side, Vic Schaefer at it again, landed a commitment from Desoto forward Amina Muhammad, the number forty nine recruit in the twenty twenty two class. Schaefer just wheeling, dealing, and killing the recruiting game. I love top 50 players. When you look, I mean, recruiting matters in all sports, but you can you can draw a pretty straight line to Charlie Collier, top, I think she was number two or number one in her class. Um, you know, these players, the, these top 50 players really translate incredibly well, their success. Obviously, it's not 100%, but a lot of times when you look at your top scores on any given team, uh, these top 50, and so I like getting a top 50 player. I think it's going to be big, and this uh, this roster, he just keeps filling it up with uh, with with ladies who can, who, can, who can do it all, put the ball in the hoop play his brand of defense and uh get us to the elite eight or better keep pushing it 
lady. Speaking of Elite Eight or better, number seven, men's golf, took third in the Big 12 championship. They actually entered the final round tied with Oklahoma State for the lead. They finished two shots back, but Cole the Hammer Hammer won the individual title, the 40th individual conference title in program history. Yeah, he's only one of four players uh, under par in this tournament. It was a, it was tough conditions out in Kansas, uh, in the in the wind in the prairie, and uh, he he was the best by far. Good for good for Cole. I think that that bodes well. You currently have not Cole Hammer, but another player, uh, Pearson Cootie, who is the number one amateur player in the world right now, uh, and then you have Cole Hammer coming as the Big Twelve individual title. Uh, when I think Cootie finished sixth uh, in this one, but uh, individually, but you have those guys uh, at the right time. It was. It will be announced on Wednesday, May fifth, where Texas will be in the NCAA regionals. But they now turn their attention to NCAA and uh, getting that national title picture. Keep on pushing. Number fifteen women's golf begins NCAA regionals on the tenth as a four seed in the Louisville regional. Uh, it also features number one overall South Carolina. So tough sledding. For the ladies, number four men's tennis announced uh, Monday as a host of an NCAA tournament regional from May 7th to the 9th at the Texas Tennis Center. Going to play an at-large bid north uh, northern Arizona before taking on the winner of UCLA Northwestern. Absolutely. Uh, I think that that's a great, uh, a really great draw for the men's team. That whole side of the bracket looks looks good, and you get to start in Austin. You know they're really tough to beat. Uh, in Austin, so uh, I think it's a it's a good start for them, and and hopefully gives them the the momentum they need to take it all the way to Orlando and bring home again another national title for Coach Bruce Burke. Again, I think Texas has a shot at potentially taking home um, both the men's and the women's uh, titles. There's a lot on the line there, but there's a um, it, it could be a a good year for tennis in Austin. Number seven softball. Uh, rough stretch against the state of Oklahoma continues was swept by number nine, Oklahoma state after being swept by the Oklahoma Sooners earlier in the year, they finished the year with three games against Baylor before the big 12 tournament starting on the 14th of this month. So hopefully they can uh, finish out the tournament strong and really set themselves up for a good NCAA tournament run. Absolutely. And it also gives Janae Jefferson, she's, she's got another year, uh, but it gives her a chance to end her junior year, uh, as the all time, uh, hit leader i think she's now six is the latest tracker six away from taking over that title so just beat baylor by like 15 runs each of the three games let her get two hits at least every game and uh i think it'll right the ship track had a strong showing during the texas invitational uh winning 13 events number four women uh the reigning big 12 athlete of the week tara davis posted three of the top 15 all-time jumps in ncaa history on Friday, just got to pick one to be the winner for the tournament. The team added six more NCAA qualifiers, which is up to 26 on the year. On the men's side, um, they added three more NCAA qualifiers, which moves them up to 16, and had three move up into the top 20 nationally. Yeah, they'll close the season next week at the Aggie Invitational. But with that many, with with almost 20 competing in in the NCAA's, I mean, it's basically just a couple people looking to uh, to to get that qualifying at this last one. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's not the full squad. But we've already dominated the Aggies once. We'll see what happens there. But I, I don't want to skip over how good Tara Davis has been. Like she is putting together a uh, a, a Colt McCoy, Vince Young, Cat Osterman. Uh, TJ Ford, 
you know, just level uh, Miranda Ellis level best player in the country doing things that even the casual fan needs to tune in and see even fans who aren't fans of UT tune in and see um, because it just unreal. She, again, three of the top 15 all-time jumps. And remember, she owns number one from earlier in the year. And, and what did she do last week? Oh, she just set um, the fastest hurdle time ever. It was wind-aided, um, but in, in UT school history. And then this week, what did she do? She finished second in hurdles to the person who is a, a special assistant, I guess, to the team, but is graduated, not a college athlete, um, who is the current world record holder, is the only person who beat her in hurdles this week. She put up the fourth fastest time in UT history in the 110 hurdles at the same meet. That's wild to jump and run, I guess run and jump, uh, in the hurdles in the same meet like that. She is just crushing it, and it's so fun to watch. She's She is just maybe my favorite Longhorn on campus right now. If you haven't been tuning in, make sure you, you, you catch and follow the story of Tara Davis. Absolutely. Finally, number two rowing swept number three, Virginia in Charlottesville. They're going to host the Big 12 Conference Championship May 16th. Um, plus, Big 12 rowing affiliates. They should just annex them for football and other sports as well. <laughs> Tennessee and Alabama. Yeah, the, the I, I mentioned, Gerald, the only boat that hasn't won out of every race that UT has entered this year and, and their season is, is now over, their regular season, one boat didn't win. And it was because it lost to another UT boat. They have just dominated everyone. That number two, they keep uh, getting closer and closer to the number one. They're getting more and more first place votes every week. This is a not even not even a stretch to say a 50 50 chance uh, of a national championship. So we got a couple, a couple men's tennis, women's tennis rowing. I, I still am not writing uh, volleyball off each of the track and field teams. Um, we have, uh, I mean, men's golf. I do, would not put it past with the, with the t- talent they have at the top of that. There are national titles still for, uh, for grabs for, for, for UT with, with a couple months left uh, in the, in the semester. So exciting stuff. Let's take it now to the burnt orange lenses, Gerald. A little bit of news that involves uh, the greater world through through burnt orange perspective. The the undrafted free agents we had we talked about who got drafted joining uh, joining our, our QB one Sam Ellinger up in Indianapolis. Tarek Black actually signed with the Colts, and Brennan Eagle signed with the Cowboys. So two receivers there, and then uh, another QB who I still like to link. Uh, they called him an SMU grad, but come on, he's a Longhorn for life. Shane Bouchelle signed with the Chiefs. Um, he will start, we'll see, maybe take it over, but start backing up Patrick Mahomes, who they met one time at the University of Texas, and Bouchelle won that matchup. Uh, I think Foreman had like 350 yards in that one, but that doesn't matter. Bouchelle, uh, 1-0 while at UT all-time against uh, Pat Mahomes, who will, I think he's pretty good, pretty good quarterback in the NFL but uh, you know it, it's a toss-up right now who's going to be starting week one I think Boo should totally take that starting job based upon <laughs> head-to-head records totally um and then in in the news that that I think is is maybe the the craziest of 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 the month of the of the of the spring I don't know this is this was this to me at least uh, came out of left field Gerald um I'm sure you were all over it but Royal Ivy named the head coach of the South Sudan national team at one point thought to be a, a, a runner in contention for the, the post Shaka uh, job availability that is now held by Chris Beard. Uh, Ivy landed himself a national team. <laughs> what do you think about this one? 
I mean, he's a, he's a guy who's got um, coaching aspirations, and he's been a, a longtime NBA assistant. He was an assistant uh, with for dating back to I think 2014 with the Thunder's G League affiliate. So he's he's an up and comer of in the coaching circuit. And so I think he's definitely a guy to watch, I think for future coaching jobs. I, I don't know if he was, I mean, in retrospect, he might not have been the fit for Texas clearly based on what beard is doing now, but he's a guy that I would love to see uh, hang around the program and be somebody who can be an ambassador for Texas for sure. Absolutely. Um, the, I think an assistant on that team, if he's still there is Manute Bull's son, Madute Bull, not Bull Bull um, was, uh, was a coach on the, on the South Sudan team so uh you know anytime you can you can link up with the Bulls you're 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 doing all right but uh man this is this is cool I'm I will be watching more South Sudanese basketball than I expected because I'm I'm rooting for Royal Ivy and I think you're exactly right you see this in soccer sometimes just kind of the the get the coach at the national team and then take it back to the club level I'd like to see him parlay this into whatever is next for him and hopefully uh great great things but this is this is a cool one i'm i'm excited to to see how this goes so that's it for the burn orange lenses let's take it to the godzilla tron gerald what have you been watching on your giant screen like a lot of us uh, my wife and i over the weekend uh watched the new uh tom clancy uh, Michael B. Jordan joint without remorse. So if you don't, um, it's kind of the launching point for like the greater uh, Tom Clancy universe cinematically. They've already got like Amazon's already got the uh, Jack Ryan show with um, with the guy from the John Krasinski. I almost blanked on his name. Uh, so I don't know if these are not these are not connected at these point. I don't think they'll they'll be. But um, I, like it was very much a Tom Clancy movie. Like, I don't know how to say it. Like it was just kind of like the action sequences were really realistic. And, and I, that was enjoyable. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, obviously it was Michael B. Jordan in it. Um, but like, it's, it was, I, it's not going to win any awards. If you like that kind of movie, then it's definitely your kind of movie. Uh, the thing I always like to talk about here is that, or that I've been talking about online is the book without remorse and the movie without remorse. If you like the, the without remorse, book the the plot of the movie is nothing nowhere close to the book the book is basically um like pretty woman in death wish from like the charles bronson movie had a baby is kind of the best way i could describe the book and so this one was quite different from that and it it, i thought it was a good choice uh and then like my decompressed show i've been watching futurama in the background as i do work at futurama probably top five all-time animated show for me or top five sitcom show for me all time so a big fan. Been watching that. I, I love Michael B. Jordan and, and Tom Clancy. That man stays making money. Good for him. Um, Put a shirt on. <laughs> uh, so I, I have the update that you've all been waiting for. I finally finished Billions, though. Caveat. Found out that uh, they had a second. They split the season, the final, I think, final season. Um, there was basically a second half to the season coming, and then COVID paused it. So I think it should be coming soon. Um, terrible news, though, I think in the past week or so. Damian Lewis, who's basically one of two stars of the show. His wife, who, if you're a Peaky Blinders fan, is Aunt Polly. And she's been in many things, stage and otherwise. Um, actually uh, lost a, a lengthy battle with cancer, unfortunately. So I don't know if that will affect film. And, and obviously the important part is nothing to do with affecting filming. But it's just sad news for Damian Lewis. I hate to hear that. Um, that's devastating. Um, she was, I think, only in her 50s. So, um, But... Uh, on a lighter note to that is that billions ended just 
where it is right now. And I don't want to call it a cliffhanger, but it makes you very much want to see what they have left. The story cannot be done. It cannot be um, left untold. They've just uh, teed up some, some, some meaty stuff for the remaining, whatever future season is, but I will give it a nine out of 10 recommend everyone uh, go catch up. If you haven't watched it, if you started and didn't finish catch up now before the new one comes out, I don't know when that is, but uh, it's great. It is um, similar to Succession, and a lot of people have watched that. I've watched both. Um, I, I liked them, I would say, equally but differently. Um, this is uh, this is written very f- smart, sometimes too smart. Sometimes the dialogue can be too smart for its own good, and you're just like, no one talks like that. That's a little oh oh, your ninth like it's like illusion. It's like an Aaron Sorkin. It, it, that's what I was gonna actually about to say was it's it's almost Sorkin esque where it's like that's too perfect, you know, like and and it, it deals with. Bobby Axelrod, who's the the like this brilliant savant um, who can see the numbers and see the world, and he's a genius. And it deals with Chuck Rhodes, who has you know the he's the rich Yale um, multi generational wealth, um, all of the classical education you could expect. So those characters you could assume, and his his Chuck Rhodes' wife, who's you know a hyper genius psychologist. So all of the three main kind of pieces of this triangle are hyper intelligent but it's still just even for them and the the smart people in their uh purview it feels too smart and it's like oh that's right you were quoting you went from quoting like a ramones lyric to um classical philosophy and then over to a sports reference and dabbled in some diehard it's great um i many times pull my show my phone out during the show and look things up which i love learning new stuff it's very intelligent the writers are very good the music is on point uh, throughout it, the the showrunner actually is the person who discovered Tracy Chapman while they were in college at Tufts. Just a bit of trivia, um, so you know it's good music. But uh, yeah, um, I would recommend it very highly. Everyone, check it out. You will have fun. There are twists and turns. It is it is just a good fun watch. You suspend all belief and go into this this world that is other, and you'll have a good time there. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Um... Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I'm going to bang the drum on women's basketball. Um, we missed a bit of news on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, 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 I hate that we did because I love this person. I think even the short time that she was on the 40 acres she was a fantastic addition to it we're all better for it our basketball program is better for it Vic Schaefer's kind of right hand most trusted assistant the associate head coach Johnny Harris got what I think was long overdue and well-deserved head coaching job a lot of people thought she would take over when Vic left Mississippi State and I think a lot of Mississippi State fans were very angry that they didn't give it to her but she now took over the Auburn job and she took with her UT's uh this year was our player uh Coordinator Player Development, Katara Chapel, who starred for both of them uh, as an All-American at Mississippi State. Um, but so they have left some vacancies as they uh, are war eagling. So that gets me to my point. Um, congrats to, to Coach Harrison and, and to Katara. Uh, they had to fill that. And and this week, Gerald, they announced their, their first what, maybe of two hires. Um, and <laughs> when I read the name, it just sounded so incredibly fake to me. Um but I've done my research, and this is a real person, but the new assistant and potentially a director of recruiting position, because she has served that in the past, Calamity McIntyre, which is just the most Red Dead Redemption, like your favorite character in that show name that I've ever heard. It's just too perfect to be real. Um, 
and, and let me lay the credentials formerly of, of Dayton, most recently Hawaii, Arizona, where she served direct recruiting roles at each of those. Fresno started a career uh, when she was finishing up her grad degree as a grad assistant under Pat Summit. Um, as a recruiting coordinator at, at two of those stops, Arizona and Dayton landed their first ever top 25 classes. So she is well known. Uh, Vic has nothing but praises to say, so I trust her. But she has a very famous aunt. Gerald, do you have any idea who Calamity's aunt is? That's I got nothing. Well, I I, I didn't either because I read this last time, name and didn't think anything of it. But her aunt, who wished her a happy uh, congratulations and threw the horns up, was none other than Reba McIntyre. That's right. This is this is Reba McIntyre's niece. So I am hoping that Reba shows up for games. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and let some personal family news out here. My dad. I think his biggest celebrity crush all time is Reba McIntyre. Obviously, he's loved my mom. They've been married for 40 years. Um, But Reba McIntyre has always been my dad's number one gal. And I think he would be driving up to Austin from San Antonio for UT women's basketball games if Reba was a baseline staple. So, Reba, I know you're listening to this. Come on down. Come support Calamity. Support Vic Schaefer. Get in early while there's still seats. Those things are going to be sold out soon when everyone's jumping on this bandwagon. Um, and uh, welcome, Calamity. Greater welcome, uh, by extension, to the entire Reba McIntyre clan. And uh, let's show some let's show some reruns of the Reba show uh, on on the big screen and and play fancy uh, during timeouts. The only person that I feel I could have unseated. Asia O'Neill's father, Jermaine O'Neill, for my favorite <laughs> random famous fan, is if Calamity McIntyre's Aunt Reba comes to Austin. That would really be the only thing they'd be like, that's a random one that I absolutely <laughs> love. So I'm banging the drum this week on the NFL draft. Now, this is going to come off hypocritical as somebody who watched way too much of the NFL draft and tweeted quite a bit about it, but I always felt like, and it just gets worse and worse every year. I hate all of the stuff. That surrounds the NFL draft. The months of jockeying for whose mock draft is going to be better and all of the conversation and the lying about who they're going to pick. And, you know, there's again, you could talk about uh, like coded language in these conversations and all sorts of things. And I wish that there were different terms that didn't sound like we were at a cattle auction that we were using for <laughs> these players. But the, my biggest gripe with the N- the NFL draft is really when you when you fly up as high as you possibly can be. I know they're like billions of dollar choices on the line. But it always ultimately just feels like the world's largest meeting that could have been an email <laughs> where we could just have a running like shared Google Doc of players and we just drop a player's name in there and go around. Like obviously you they can sell they, they sell the rights and it's a big deal and everybody goes and loves it. But like at its at its most basic, it is. It could be an email, and I'm I'm sorry to I love again I love all the the NFL draft is is an event right and they made it an event they did a great job marketing it, but like having it over three days I was super frustrated when they like moved the the first round to a whole another day to add another day of TV ratings and it totally messed up the nomenclature versus like first day guy second day guy like that really messed up the conversations that frustrated me at all and this could be born of my deep seated like disdain for Roger Goodell and most of the choices he made as a, the NFL commissioner. Uh, that's another conversation for another day. But again, let's just let's just make this like a group chat or something. Like let's just get this done. Let's let's make it faster. 
Gerald is a is a Ravens fan, I'll tell you, it's fun to usually be the smartest guy in the room. But I feel like you 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 don't know this yet. But you, if your GM continues, and again, I'm speaking yours, Miami Dolphins, to be that good because I think they outdrafted the Ravens even this year. They had a, a killer draft, of course, aided by the Texans being the worst GMs uh, just in the history of, of sports. Thank but you. uh, <laughs> but it, 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 you're going to change your tune when the Dolphins just crush it every year and rebuild a dynasty. This is like, it's like watching minor league baseball. No one wants to do it. It's bad, but it's the stars of tomorrow, you know, and it's like fun. And there's some you know, there's some cachet and in, in, in this is where the roots, you can see sometimes the narrative drum. But I do agree. I've heard stories and read long form articles about various sports, NBA, NFL, otherwise um, drafts that were basically conference calls or, or owners sitting in a big room, like a conference room with like three guys called in uh, who couldn't be there. And they just, uh, you know, one guy would drop on the call and it's like, well, he doesn't get a pick. You know, the seventies were a much wilder time. Um, I kind of, I kind of would love to see that. Let's go back to one big zoom call with people talking over each other someone with a cat uh stuck over their head probably jerry jones um and let's let's uh, let's incorporate new technologies into this make it one day three hours it's a very long conference call it's utterly exhausting by the end of it sometimes people will be in the bathroom and they'll miss their pick like that's what i'm looking for one long conference call you get a minute each pick let's move this thing along it's gonna be wild uh and zoom will sponsor it i'm sure last thing i'll say Last year's draft was far superior to me. The, like everybody being at their own place via Zoom, Cliff Kingsbury with the weirdest, <laughs> not, like the flex of his living room, Bill Belichick with his dog making picks as the GM. It was just so it was so much more fun. It was ridiculous, and I absolutely loved it. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GHGetterTroll. Show on Twitter at LonghornPod. You can shoot us an email, LonghornPublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Bobun-sized goldfish. Goldfish.